0: Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks and I'm Jen oneill Smith and this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. <laughs>
1: so welcome to episode 61 Welcome back, everybody. How was your
0: week? My week was kind of crazy, Jen. It there was? was big storms here. Yeah, I know, because my and pool is bright green. Oh, man. Yeah, my above-ground pool I've been working on all summer, it is now bright green, and Zach and I are working furiously to get it back to normal. Otherwise, all of this was for nothing. <laughs>
1: so, is it like our, our friends... Turned neon green and it was so crazy. We were like, I don't think we should swim in that. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. I let everybody know that, like, yeah, my pool is uh closed for the weekend until <laughs> we can get this situated. <laughs> oh. Uh, oh, I guess
1: we will not be swimming in your pool this weekend. No, um, sorry. <laughs> we had a we had a big tree come down. Our neighbor's tree came down and all the way across the street took out all the power lines. And I was watching it like the minute before. (gasps) I'm like watching watching the trees and the storms and I was just thinking... Literally thinking to myself, "Wow, that tree is really swaying." Ugh. But I remember how I was just having a conversation with Max about how tree roots are really strong, and so trees don't usually not fall in down. Georgia,
0: and they do all the time,
1: all the time. And then all of a sudden, crack, and it went. It took the power lines out and went right across the entire street. And I was just like, "Oh, <laughs> I guess, I guess
0: not." Tree limb fell on my hand the other day when I was walking. <laughs> it was very. Real danger. What the fuck else is going to happen in this pandemic?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, should we get into some quickies,
0: Jen? Do it. All right. So, I'm going to start out this week. So, my quickie for you guys, it was going to be a long story. It's pretty crazy. It was going to be a long, crazy story, but I couldn't find enough information. All of the articles were very, like, short, succinct. Articles, but it's a nuts. All are right, are I'm, I'm excited. Ready? Okay, so this article came from The Guardian, and it was written by Helen Carter. 25-year-old Marcin Kaperzak, who was engaged to Michalina Lewandowska, who was 27, and she was also the mother of his child. They were engaged, they were in love, they had a child, and then apparently Marcin fell in love with working out just like my husband
1: <laughs> weightlifting
0: this was in Poland but um Jen, is this gonna be another story about a guy
1: drinking a lady's breast milk no no oh, good Do oh, did we do, do you remember that about story
0: that? yes <laughs> oh yeah, about yeah, how, yeah like for weightlifting oh and I that, do remember yeah. no unfortunately this is way worse Okay. okay. So, he became obsessed with working out. He would go to the gym every day and then he started doing anabolic steroids. Yeah, that will happen. And it made him um of course prone to violent outbursts and his uh, personality just completely changed. And in April 2008, their relationship had completely deteriorated. So he decided and he, you know, he just was filled with anger and he decided that he hated his girlfriend, Michelina, and he wanted her gone. He didn't want her to live with him. They, apparently, they lived together in his parents' house in wow. um, Huddlesfields, cool. West Yorkshire. Yeah. And um, he wanted her gone, and he, he didn't want her to bring up their son. Determined to get her out of the way, he told her that they were going on a shopping trip together. So when she came out into the hallway of their home. He shot her twice with a 3,000-volt taser-style gun, and then he bound what? and gagged her with tape, and he forced her into a cardboard box and drove her to a woods on the outskirts of Huddersfield where he buried her,
1: and where <gasps> he buried
0: the box into a shallow, shallow grave. So he then walked off to leave her there to suffocate, but then Michelina, who was trapped face down in the dirt with a 90-pound branch on top of the box, had to figure out a way to escape. She said that she thought of her son, and that's what kept her strong, and she just needed to find a way out. So what yeah. she did was she took her engagement ring Fuck and yeah. used it to cut her way out of the box so that she could get oxygen uh-huh. And then she clawed her way out of the box and dug her way out of the grave. And then she staggered to a nearby store, asked for help. So he was arrested. Of course, she survived, and he said that he was only trying to scare her. And then uh-huh. he claimed that he was going to um, come back and free her, but he didn't. Not only did he not help her, he took her to her. He went and took her bank card, and he withdrew five pounds and then before he headed back home and he also had an accomplice an 18 year old named patrick Bors. Um right. apparently he had helped him so it was like his gym buddy i th- probably they were both like okay like, hey man can, can you spot me Yeah, <laughs> need you help me spot this box yes marcin kapsbrzak was found guilty and he was sentenced to 20 years in jail and his accomplice Patrick Boris was found not guilty. What? Yeah. I guess for helping him. I'm not sure what that's about, but yeah. Michalina said, this was her statement. She said, during my time inside my shallow grave where I was buried alive, I feared that my life was at an end and I was going to die. I prayed to God to help me survive so that I could look after my young son. The thought of my son gave me strength to fight my way out of the box and save myself. For many years, I loved Marcin Kasperzak very much. But after this horrific attack upon me, my feelings towards him have turned to hatred. Yeah, dude, mind you. Yeah. <laughs> she says, "I still have nightmares that Marson will come and find me and kill me. My only hope is that he can accept that what he did to me was very wrong. I really hope that no one will ever experience what I went through on that day in May at the hands of a man who I loved and trusted." Oof. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Fuck that
1: guy. Fuck that guy. Jen, do you have something nicer? I have something. I have something like the ultimate fluff. I okay. <laughs> wear the yin and the yang, man. It's, you know, it's how it <laughs> goes. You know how much I love a wedding fail. Just like the funny things that happen at a wedding where you're just like, it makes you believe, like, If you are planning a wedding, just know no wedding goes as planned. Like, no wedding goes as planned. There are always going to be something. And you have to just, like, embrace those things and find them funny and not take it too seriously or
0: else it's just going to ruin everything. Like, you can plan a pretty picnic, but you can't predict the weather. (laughs) (laughs) I do truly believe those words. Three (laughs) thousand. (laughs)
1: So I found an article on Bored Panda about wedding fails. These are all people tweeted, I want to say at Jimmy Fallon, maybe he started this. And so I'm just going to read some some of the funny ones. Okay, my cousin had a beautiful outdoor wedding. He was having trouble getting through his vows. At the same time, a mosquito landed on his head and the bride smacked him. Of course, (laughs) the guests couldn't see the mosquito. And so we all sat there speechless. (laughs) You just imagine just all of a sudden. My friend had her wedding at the beach. During the ceremony, a gust of wind blew the minister's toupee into the ocean and then a seagull ate it.
0: Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) Okay. My boyfriend ripped his pants at a reception demonstrating how he had ripped his pants dancing at the last wedding we attended. Oh, my God. If that were my husband, I would be like, you idiot. You don't get pants. You don't deserve pants. (laughs) no more pants no more pants for you uh bride this is and the grooms why we can't wear pants this is why we can't have nice pants <laughs> <laughs> every every uh wedding zach's just in like a kilt he's like i oh, know <laughs> but it looks kind of dope right <laughs> oh my god the bride and groom's dogs were flower girl and ring bearer halfway down the aisle. They consummated their own relationship.
0: Uh, Oh my God.
1: (laughs) Okay. So this one, I'm going to have to post this picture because that's pretty funny. So the woman, her name is Amber Weiser. She says, I thought it was assumed that I, the maid of honor, should catch the bouquet. I ended up fighting a 10-year-old for it. And after yelling, please, I'm 24, <laughs> I decided to let her have it <laughs> because she'll probably get married before me anyway. Then her mom made, me, made her give it back. <laughs> oh my God. And there's a picture of this woman and a 10-year-old fighting over the bouquet it's pretty great
0: that oh my scene. god and i didn't know that how does that go without saying that the maid of honor gets the bouquet i never heard right <laughs> like is that something we all assumed That's maybe she and the bride me. had like had. Then why a- throw it just hand it to her just put it <laughs> on a plate <laughs> hand it to
1: her and be like good luck this isn't gonna do anything yeah okay my cousins drove four hours to sparta wisconsin to attend our wedding The wedding was in Sparta, Georgia.
0: Oh, my God. (laughs) That's amazing. And I've totally made mistakes like that before with like, there's a million Columbuses. Yeah. There's a million Romes. Yeah, especially in in the time before. It's not in
1: Italy. (laughs) It's not.
0: (laughs) Uh, Okay. On the
1: morning of the wedding, I decided to trim my eyebrows. I was distracted and held the trimmer backwards, shaved off my whole eyebrow. I painted (gasps) it back with Halloween makeup.
0: Oh my God.
1: Um, I have just a few more. Okay. But there are a million. You guys should look up this article. There are like 229 of them. Whoa. all pretty funny. The DJ cut our first dance short because it was, quote, too long and no one was into it. And, quote, it was time to move things along. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) Fucking DJ. (laughs) What a
0: douche. Oh, my God. I can totally see that happening, though. That is such a DJ thing to do. Just like... I know what the vibe is and (laughs) I understand
1: oh my god
0: Uh,
1: okay so the day after my husband got a Facebook message from a guest so embarrassed that her husband accidentally took the top tier of our cake home because it was wrapped up in a doggy bag by the exit and he thought it was for guests to take
0: oh my god (laughs) that's so funny
1: can you imagine just get home and be like uh what the fuck is that (laughs) (laughs) Um, oh man (laughs) like and him just being like I mean there was only one left and so I thought I better take it (laughs) oh my god Uh, and this is the last one I'll we'll have to post a picture of this one too but my phone began to play Umbrella by Rihanna and Jay-Z at full volume right before the kiss I let it play for 30 to 45 seconds not realizing it was me I don't (gasps) have that song on my phone I was the best man
0: oh my god that is so funny and you know there was this one time where Zach and I were in at the movies and I, the movie started and I heard, hear this like jazz music playing and I'm like, they fucking, they forgot to shut the music off. This is great. <laughs> like I thought the theater like didn't shut the music off. And I was like, ah, I gotta go tell him. <laughs> Got up and go <laughs> tell they they forgot to shut like the the pre show theater music off, and then I was like, "Why is that music following me everywhere I go?" <laughs> it was on my phone, and like I don't. It was you the like, whole time. I, yeah, it was me the whole time. It was like I guess I had hit something, but like I listen to jazz, but not like all the time to where like I would have thought, "Oh, jazz music playing." That's on my phone. But, right. Yeah, oh that's I me like that's, such my, such that's my jam idiot dude and everyone in the theater was like what is that somebody's gotta say something and I was like I'll do it I'll, I'll do it guys.
1: <laughs> and they were like why is it getting quieter oh, it left with her
0: she fixed it <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm an
1: idiot oh, that's that amazing <laughs> alright so those are my quickies
0: Hey, Sally. Yes, Jen. Are you ready
1: for a crazy story? I mean, after your quickie crazy story, I feel like what could be crazier? This
0: is pretty crazy. This is a wild, wild ride. I love a wild ride. Yes. This came I'm on board. I'm strapping in. An episode of Wicked Attraction- and then also like a really great article for um texas monthly written by katie vine in okay katie vine yeah she did a really tremendous job really good writer check her out in mineral wells which is west of fort worth texas do you know it's a small Uh, town i don't Small town that I guess like a poor town that's been sort of ravaged by the economy. It, it was at one point thriving, and then uh, I guess meth happened and just really took this yeah. town down real fast. But so 18 year old Jennifer Jones was living in Mineral Wells with her father. Uh, she had kind of a rough childhood. Her mother had gotten into trouble with the law several times and they actually sent Jennifer to go live with her aunt and uncle for a while. And when she was living with them, she was thriving. But then Mm -hmm. she, when she got a little older as a teenager, she started to get into trouble. She would kind of have some violent outbursts. She started doing drugs. And when her aunt and uncle found drugs in her room they kicked her out immediately and then she was kind of sent to go live with her father who was for a time they lived in an apartment but then he got um, evicted and they were kind of living from place to place in and out of hotel rooms yeah um, you know that kind of lifestyle her and her sister and her father so one day she was standing outside of the her father's apartment just hanging out in the parking lot smoking a cigarette when her sister audrey drives up with her new girlfriend her name was bobby joe smith and bobby joe was a notorious charmer she had she had a lot of friends and she was really outgoing people loved her don't you feel like with the name bobby joe that's
1: like i can like already picture her personality
0: yeah yeah she had a big personality Audrey introduces them and then was like this is my sister this is Bobby Joe and then Audrey has to go inside and get something and she leaves Jennifer alone with Bobby Joe and like I said she was a charmer and she, when she, the second mm-hmm. she saw Jennifer she just fell in love so when Audrey went inside Bobby Joe asked her you ever kiss a girl and Jennifer said no and then she said you want to and Jennifer just smiled and said no and then Bobby Joe said, I could change your mind and just kind of laughed. And then Audrey came back outside and hopped in the car and they drove off. But, okay. but Bobby had already decided that she was in love with Jennifer just from the site. So she, the next day, you know, told Audrey that she needed to go to the grocery store. But instead, when she was gone, she called Jennifer and asked her to meet her at the library. So they set up this meeting behind Audrey's back. And as soon as they met, they fell in love immediately and fell for each other hard. So they were together now, and Audrey, of course, was furious. You know, her girlfriend right. just left her for her little sister. Bobby Joe also had a hard life growing up. She was abandoned by her parents and raised by her grandparents. Like I said, she was outgoing and had a lot of friends. But in the tenth grade, she became pregnant and had a son and got married. All in the same grade. I know, but the marriage was very short lived. And through her ex husband, she met a family friend. Uh, his name was Bob Dow, who was forty nine years old. He was the ex stepfather to the man that she was married to and had a son with. So, okay, that's how she met him, and they started hanging out together a lot. Because I'm going to be honest with you, he was a sleaze ball. Um, uh-huh. He they partied together and like I said he was much older was like you can stay here and live here and all, he would buy her drugs and alcohol and in exchange he would for like the home that he was providing her and the drugs and alcohol she, he called her his chick magnet he wanted her to bring young girls back to the apartment <gasps> and then he would videotape the girls oh my god uh, like in sexual situations and then sometimes he would join in and he would just tape it. So they said that he was an amateur porn filmmaker, but he never sold any of these videos. He just kept them all for his own private collection. So Bob had inherited this house after his younger brother died in the fall of 2003, and left Bob to be the caretaker to his mother. So he got this house in exchange for taking care of his mother. His mother was almost completely incapacitated. So he barely took care of her. Yeah. And he he was receiving Social Security checks, just for him to like barely take care of her. And he would just like lock the door to her room, and then have parties outside of it. And have all these people over. It was so gross. Gross. Yeah. So he was just pretty gross dude. So um, when Bobby Joe started dating Jennifer, Bobby Joe told him, like, look, I bring girls here all the time that you hook up with, but not Jennifer because she's mine. She's my girlfriend. Don't touch her, you know. And so Jennifer moves in with them. And then all of them, of course, start doing drugs together. It was like one long, big party it just yeah. never stopped me. and how old are they how old are the girls they're like 18 and 19 okay yeah so they're young and yeah. he's old and gross and so mm-hmm. um they were starting to kind of lose their minds you know because they were doing so many drugs and not sleeping at all and one night they were hanging out with a friend whose name is quote unquote Darcy, but that's not her actual name. But anyway, this friend, Jennifer started to lose her mind a little bit and thought that Darcy was saying something to her when Darcy wasn't even speaking. And then she convinced herself that Darcy was a witch and was like casting spells on them. And then they Uh found this notebook that Darcy had left that had – she had this notebook there and then she read it and then in her mind she – Convince herself that all of these were spells and voodoo hexes, and so oh my god, she, her, and Bobby Joe like flipped out, and then they went and got Bobby Joe's son and brought him over to their house because they thought that Darcy was trying to do something. This it's crazy, and then yeah. so then they decided to take anything that Darcy touched. They took it outside and burned it all because they thought that was the only way to protect themselves from this spell or whatever. It's, it's needless to say they were just kind of going crazy and you could tell where they're like how their minds operated just not very well (laughs) yeah Um, just like completely paranoid (laughs) yeah and jennifer's family of course was really upset that she was with bobby joe because they felt like she was obviously a bad influence on her and then jennifer starts helping bobby joe with recruiting other young girls to come over to the house so that Bob can film them and have sex with them. And it was also reported that they brought Jennifer's mother to, who I said Jennifer's mother kind of was in and out of jail and had some issues. Kathy is her name, that she came over and like partied and had sex with Bob too, which is pretty gross. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. So- one day, the girls are both arrested for, um, they were at JCPenney in Fort Worth, and they shoplifted a $64 watch. So they were arrested and put in jail, and the only person, and they spent the night in jail, and the only person that they had to call to bail them out was Bob, of course. So they called Bob Dow to come bail them out, which he does, but then on the whole ride back home, he's complaining to the girls, like, oh, you guys are costing me all this money between the drugs and the alcohol and now this bail money, like, you guys Guys, owe me how are you going to pay me back and so when they get home bobby joe gets out of the truck and storms off but jennifer is in the alone in the truck with him for a second and bob's like basically makes a move on her and is like Mm. you know pay you can pay me back with sex and uh, jennifer is like no get off me you're gross whatever and she runs out and to tell bobby joe so bobby joe and her take off and they're completely incensed and raving. I'm sure that they went home and did a bunch of drugs and they're driving around like crazy. Bob's trying to destroy us and he's trying to keep us apart. And we like, he's the danger to us. We need to get rid of him, And yeah. so that's when Jennifer decides that she's going to kill him. Mm-hmm. So on May 24th, 2004, Bobby goes inside the house that they all live in and distracts Bob While Jennifer then sneaks into Bob's room and takes his gun that he has and she puts it under a pillowcase on his bed. And then when Bobby Joe leaves and says, oh, I got to go to the store or whatever, she leaves Jennifer with Bob. And then that's when Jennifer comes out of the room and is like, you know what? You're right. I actually do owe you for that money and starts (sighs) to come on to him. Uh-huh. and um and he's like, and actually what's crazy is that he actually said, no, you guys are right, I didn't you're her girlfriend. I shouldn't have put you in that position but she was like, no no, you know I I want to have sex She kept pushing for it and um and honestly, I don't know how much of this is like it, in both art the article and the the show they talk about how he said no, no no, and then she's like, yes, yes, yes and i really don't know how much of that is just a attempt to build the story to make it look like she was a little more um premeditated right. I, I was going to say like that to make it look like like redeem he's him. He's innocent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At some,
1: so it's like, no, it's like, well, it sounds no, like he's just fucking schmuck. He's yeah. a piece of shit. So it's like, I don't. Did he deserve to be murdered? No, which I'm assuming is what's about to happen. But like, yeah, you know, no, nobody does. But also, like, that doesn't make what he did right, or that he's a good person, or you know,
0: right. Like, and so I don't know how much of this I believe about that he was like no no no, Um I, but it is in both sources. I will yeah. say. So then they she apparently takes him into the room to have sex with him and they start hooking up. And then she says, do you mind if I put this pillowcase over your head? Cause I want to pretend that you're something, someone else. And he was like, that's fine. <laughs> and so then she puts the pillowcase over his head and then she grabbed the gun and she shot And now this is where there are different stories that, and Bobby Joe and Jennifer have both told multiple different stories. There's a Mm -hmm. story that Jennifer shot him three times in the head. There's a story that Jennifer shot him once. And then Bobby Joe came in and shot him two more times. There's a story that he was attacking. Bobby Joe did all, there's just all these different stories, but
1: Mm -hmm.
0: at the end, Bob was shot three times in the head. So, Jennifer and Bobby Joe then go through his house and, you know, try to take whatever they can get. And apparently he only had like $128. And then they took a gun along with the murder weapon. And then they also took his dash of weed, apparently. So okay. then they wow. stole Bob's truck and drove it over to Jennifer's dad's apartment. And when they get there, her father was gone, but his ex-wife, who was Jennifer's mom, Kathy Jones, the one that I was telling you about, she who had just recently been paroled from prison on a robbery charge was there with her sister, Audrey, and Audrey's new girlfriend, Crystal. So- The girls run in and they cry to all of them, telling them that, oh, we just had to kill Bob because Bob was trying to rape Jennifer. And they told them that Jennifer killed Bob because he was trying to rape her. The mother is like, you you have to call the police immediately, tell them what happened. But the girls insist that they can't call the police and that they all need to leave. So her mom says that she went with her because she felt like she needed to protect her. And then the sister and the girlfriend came along too, and so all five of them leave together in the truck and take off, like on the. So run. they're like, we're gonna, we're gonna go on the lamb, all of us, all of us, yeah. And so, right, but before okay. they leave to head out of town, they stop to to see Bobby Joe's grandmother, and she was like, "I'll come too." <laughs> no, actually, the grandmother <laughs> is the only voice of reason in this whole fucking story. So. They tell the grandmother what happened and Bobby Joe tells her that they killed him. And, and, but Bobby Joe also told her grandmother that she shot Bob. And so then Jennifer's mother and sister are like, wait, what? You just said that Jennifer shot Bob. So like what's going on, but they tell the grandmother that they need to leave. And then they take off in the pickup truck again, and they're all on the run. So Bobby Joe's grandmother called her daughter and son-in-law to tell them what happened to Bob. And then they call the police. And so within hours, the police are already looking for Bobby Joe, specifically Bobby Joe, because she tells him that she's the one that shot him.
1: So right.
0: right now, so the five girls are in the truck and they don't have a plan at all. All they know is they're headed west. And they turn this into like a wild ride. Like they go buy beer, they're smoking weed, they're drinking, they're having fun. It's just like a crazy girl trip. They're yeah. just like, woohoo, this is amazing. And Jennifer and Bobby Joe totally, not glamorize it, but what's the word I'm looking for? Like, they, they're they dreamy about what the situation is. Jennifer right. th- th- says that she's a descendant of Clyde, Bonnie and Clyde. And so it's in her blood. And they're just like, you know, girls on the run. And right. the next morning, they're in New Mexico. And the thing about the truck is that it was overheating because the radiator was bad so every hour or so they would have to pull over and put water in the radiator radiator and let it cool down so of course a highway patrol car spots them and mm-hmm. he asked them if they need any help and um, they're like no we're fine you know just girls on a girls trip and the patrolman just drives off. So Mm -hmm. now they feel like they're Just girls on a girl's trip. Just murdered a guy. (laughs) No problem. So then when he leaves, then the girls, of course, feel like they're invincible. Like, oh, we already told the cops. We're fine. We've got this. But they do decide that they actually need money for this, all of this. Because they only have that $128, which I'm sure they Mm -hmm. already spent on gas.
1: Right. And like coolant.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And so they go to a pawn shop. And then they sell that other gun. I forgot to mention that they threw the murder weapon out the window at some point. Gotcha. When they were uh, on their drive. at least
1: someone's thinking.
0: Yeah. They threw that out the window, but then they sold the other gun for $70. And so, which isn't going to get you that far. Mm -mm. But anyway, so Jennifer's sister said that she was really glad when the gun sold because, like I said, Bobby Joe and Jennifer were completely glamorizing this entire situation. They said that they were hoping that all of this would end in a really cool Thelma and Louise style ending, like that they would be swarmed by cops and then they would kill each other in the name of love, be all over the news forever. They end up driving to Arizona where then Crystal, Audrey's girlfriend, was like, I want to go home I think
1: (laughs) (laughs) you know what this seemed like a fun road trip but
0: it is not I'm tired and I want my mom so she calls her and they're like okay bye and so they they let her out and she calls her mom to come pick her up and they're fine with it she just doesn't want to be apart and her mom comes to pick her up but of course when she gets home the police are questioning her and she gives a statement right and then their mom Kathy like I said I don't think anybody is in their right state of mind right now because everybody is doing lots of drugs decides like oh you know what you two should get married because if you're married then you can't testify um, against uh-huh. each other and so then she performs a ceremony like on the side mm-hmm. of the road um, and marries the two of them which mm-hmm. is not legal at all <laughs> it's not going to do anything but in their mind they're like now, we, now we're now we good yeah so we've we beat this brother. system <laughs> So <laughs> they decide to go to a hotel room so that Jennifer and Bobby Joe can be alone on their wedding night and then Of course. and then Kathy and Audrey go to get something to eat. So after Bobby Joe and Jennifer finish consummating their marriage, mm-hmm, they congrats. are like where what's taking them so long? So like looking for Kathy and Audrey so they get in the truck and they start driving around looking for the two of them and when they see find them they see them talking to some men and Bobby Joe of course is like oh my god they're they're turning us in those are undercover cops and they're uh-huh. she, and you know because Kathy is breaking parole by being on the run right now so she's yeah. totally putting herself in a situation where she's going to be fucked when she gets back so they're thinking that she's turning them in to save herself. Right. And so then they just decide we got to get out of here. So they just take off and they leave Kathy and Audrey. And I mean, I got to say
1: it's probably a favor to
0: Kathy and Audrey. Probably. And also it turns out that that was just a truck driver that they were talking to just Mm -hmm. shooting the shit it they definitely were not speaking to the cops but now they're totally worried because then they get back to the hotel and they the truck is gone the girls are gone but they had left all of their things right outside of the door so now they're worried because they're like what the hell happened to them they keep talking about suicide right they're just worried They, they called jennifer's dad Kathy's ex-husband, Jennifer's dad, Mm -hmm. to come pick them up. When they tell them where they are, then, of course, Jennifer's dad calls the police and is like, this is where they are. So (laughs) the police show up, and then they question Kathy. And Kathy told them everything. And she even told them that Jennifer was the one that killed Bob, not Bobby Joe. And then Kathy even takes them to where they threw the murder weapon out of the car.
1: Oh, and they
0: were able to locate it. So they weren't that off on Kathy. Right. <laughs> 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 it wasn't that dumb. Now the girls are in Blythe, California. They set up a blanket on the ground behind this pool hall. They're like having this nice romantic night under the stars. Apparently, they were like dancing to George Strait's I Cross My Heart. And they were, you know, slow dancing together. Sure this dreamy natural born killers type situation. But then Bobby Joe decides to call her grandmother and she tells her grandmother where they are. She's like, oh we're in Blythe, California. We're behind this pool hall. Everything's great. Everything's great. And so they were going to sleep outside on the blanket, but then it got cold. So they went inside and they slept in the truck. And um, they thought that everything was just wonderful and that they were together and married and everything was, you know, they were going to be okay mm-hmm.
1: until
0: the police came knocking on their truck door because they were told <laughs> exactly where to go. So the grandma come, told them. Yeah. And so the police came and they arrested them. The girls didn't put up a fight. They went willingly. It, they took them to the Riverside County jail. And at first Jennifer told them that Bob tried to rape her. And then Billy Joe came in and got him off her. And then Jennifer took the gun and shot him. And then When they questioned Billy Joe, she said that she came into the room while Bob was trying to rape Jennifer and that she was fighting him off, that she tried to hit him in the head with a gun, Mm -hmm. but that it accidentally went off. Like, whoopsies, three times. Yeah. um, So because their stories were not matching at all, the police were like, this isn't right, you guys. Like, we're going to have to give you guys polygraph tests. So they tell the girls that they're going to give them polygraphs. But before the test, even starts, Jennifer just starts crying and says, I want to tell you guys the truth. And that's when she told them that they had planned the whole thing. And mm-hmm. Bobby Joe apparently did the same thing. So um, <laughs> when she was about to have her polygraph. And so both of the girls were charged with first degree murder. They say that a funeral a very small funeral was held for Bob by his ex-wife, but that nobody was there, really. You know, I nobody yeah. – he was a piece of shit. Nobody yeah. really cared for this guy. So Jennifer pled guilty to the charges, and she was sentenced to 48 years in prison. And while they were in prison, Bobby, Joe, and Jennifer were actually on the same cell block And they could, for a while they were shouting across the cell block, they could hear each other, but then they figured out that they could speak through a vent. Uh, And so while they were speaking through this vent, Bobby Joe, she thinks, well, Jennifer is the one that pled guilty. She's the one that committed the murder. And she's like, I didn't shoot anybody. And that's the story that everybody's saying. So I'm going to get out of here. Jennifer's not. So Mm -hmm. she breaks up with Jennifer through the vent and tells her like, look, I'm, I've already got a new girlfriend. I'm not waiting for you. You know, I'm getting out and sorry. Mm-hmm. But, and, and of course, Jennifer was absolutely devastated. They were married. On the Right. <laughs> right. And, they were married. I forgot. Yeah. And the second that Bobby Joe saw an out, she took it, you know, but in January, t- uh, 2006, when Bobby Joe went to court they completely saw her as what pushed Jennifer to commit this murder. That she mm-hmm. was definitely part of the planning, that she had a lot to do with it. And she was actually sentenced to 50 years in prison. Oh, because she went to trial. Yep. So Jennifer got 48 and Bobby Joe got 50.
1: Yeah, dumb, dumb. They dumb.
0: are both in jail and I'm assuming unmarried to each other. <laughs> today so that's my crazy story
1: it's super crazy and i know i was like laughing throughout and it's not funny that somebody was killed but it just is it's more like disbelief at how dumb these people are like just what the fuck man
0: yeah this is dumb love if there ever was yeah
1: just the whole families and man
0: yeah. Well a lot of a lot of poor decision making in this in this journey. <laughs> oh, so. you know what? <laughs> this is a lot
1: of just you know what? You're not bad people. You just yeah. make bad decisions.
0: I forgot to mention too that when the police went to go find Bob's body or whatever, is when they found all of the tapes and and all of the porn that he had collected and that there were some girls on there as young as 15 years old so yeah. i really have no sympathy for this piece of shit I really no
1: just don't It's just so. a bunch of shitheads in this yeah
0: yeah shitheads all uh, around shitheads all, all, all around
1: all around <laughs> <laughs> all right cool hey jen
0: hey sally
1: are you ready for a love story i am all right, this is a sweet one. Okay, so I got my information from the website brooklynhistory.org, a article by Julie May and Yenwen Wang, and then New York Daily News by Carol Curveglia, and the book Papa's Letters by Judith Level. Okay. So, okay. So Judith Level remembers her grandfather, David Heard as this stately and serious man he was – very religious, but he had a soft spot for his grandchildren. And she always remembers they just always had this... David and his wife, Avril always had this huge house full of people, kids, grandkids, friends. And although her grandmother died when Judith was just four, she remembers loving her grandmother's visits. She remembers just like she and her brother would spot her grandmother coming and they would yell, Granny's here, Granny's here. And then they would go hide and surprise her. And she just always remembers how loving and um, warm she was. Once her grandmother died, her grandfather came and lived with her family. And so she knew her grandfather really well. He lived with them for the last nine years of his life. And so her most vivid memories were of her grandfather. As she was a child sitting in front of his blackboard and he would teach her vocabulary, sentence structure, penmanship, because he had been a teacher and her own mother had learned the same way from him and had gone on to become a high school teacher. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until David's death in 1971, when Judith was 13, that she started to really learn about her grandparents' past. She would sit quietly and she'd be fascinated while her aunts and uncles would talk about the past and she would hear stories about her grandparents and their enduring love. And then occasionally she would hear her aunts and uncles talking about the letters. And then so when she got older, she approached her aunts about seeing these letters for herself. And it was when she finally got her hands on them that she really got to know the full picture of her grandparents. It turns out that these were love letters from her grandfather to her grandmother. And they were all all about his life as a young immigrant in New York City and this beautiful beginning of his relationship with the love of his life, his wife, Avril. So David Hurd immigrated from St. Ann's Bay, Jamaica to New York City in 1907. He was 22 years old when he got off the boat and he was directed to Fort Greene, Brooklyn, which had a strong immigrant community there, especially a Caribbean immigrant community. The early 1900s were a time of big migration of educated people from the Caribbean to the United States. And many came to the U.S. as skilled craftsmen, scholars, ministers. And actually the literacy rate among this group of Caribbean immigrants was much higher than the European immigrants and even the native-born white population at the time. And David was no exception. He'd gone to college in Jamaica to become a teacher. But even though he was trained as a teacher in Jamaica, he was forced to work a number of odd jobs in New York just to get by. He was a tailor and then a custodian at a pool hall. At one point, he operated a searchlight on a boat that headed up and down the Hudson River Um, He also worked as a salesman at a luxury car dealership. Later in life, he became a minister. He really just kind of did whatever it took. And he said, David actually viewed this new life as one of open possibilities. He wrote in a letter, he wrote, "'Conditions in America are different from those in Jamaica. There, when a man has a position, if it is desirable at all, he sticks to it as long as he lives. Consequently, he has no outside experience.'" "'When a man comes to America, never mind what he was at home, never mind how much he had there or what he knew, when he comes here, he finds that he had to begin afresh. Even the little boys on the street seem wiser than he is. The more he tries to learn here, the better he is fitted to make a comfortable living and to succeed. Therefore, people, as a rule, do not follow a line of work here for all time. The experienced man will try anything. He will attempt to do anything at all if there is money in it, though he never did it before, and therein lies his success.' We have taken the word can't from the English language entirely, and in its place, we've written, let's try. So after six years in New York, David was working steadily, and he had made a life in his Brooklyn community, but he didn't have love, and he wanted a companion. And his brother Tom, his older brother Tom, also lived in New York, and he suggested, hey, why don't you start up a correspondence with my wife Maddie's cousin, Avril, and Avril actually lived in Port Antonio, Jamaica, at the time, and apparently having a pen pal was pretty popular in the early 1900s. People, you know, sometimes would be men and women, sometimes men and men, but they would write each other about their country and their customs and their lifestyle, and it was, um, it was seen as kind of like a exchange program kind of thing. Like I know when when we were younger, uh, having a an international pen pal was like a huge yeah. th- a huge deal, you know. But so David, at first, was kind of hesitant. I mean, he was like, I want to meet someone. <laughs> like, she's mm-hmm. in Jamaica. But then Maddie showed him a picture of Avril, who was gorgeous. And he was uh-huh. like, oh, okay, maybe I'll write her a letter. <laughs> I can write her a letter, too. Is it going to hurt? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, so they the started – Right. Yeah, yeah. I can do that. So they started writing in October of 1913. And in the beginning, they wrote about kind of their day to day lives. And he would, you know, he talked about things like how during the winter, like my schedule becomes monotonous because it's cold outside. You know, he wrote, I get to work at half past eight o'clock in the morning and get home at six o'clock in the evening. have eaten my supper. I read the papers in order to get in touch with current events. Then I read a book or do some writing. Sometimes I go to the theater or to the moving picture show. Oh, Sometimes God. I study a bit.
0: Sounds like a dream, right?
1: Right? <laughs> Sometimes I study a bit, especially when I have an engagement to give an address at a literary club or a young men's league or guild. But for the most part, I stay home. And then he talks about the weather, about, you know, kind of how different it is from Jamaica. He says, springtime is here. We have finally discarded our overcoats. Now we can walk or sit in the open air and enjoy outdoor pleasures of life. In Jamaica, you cannot... Fully appreciate the grandeur of outdoor life because the air is always good and people are always around, up and around, accepting when it rains. But then the letters, so, you know, they're kind of just here's the weather, here's my day, you know, at first. But then they start turning more personal. And David is, you know, opening up about kind of the culture shock he experienced when he came to the US. Mm -hmm. Um, And he starts asking Avril, you know, how she would respond to a number of different scenarios like, what if this happened? Would you get angry? Would you try to work it out? And it, became clear that they were both getting to know how each other re- would react and getting to know each other through asking these kind of probing questions and they were starting to fall in love through right. the letters. And David had started by addressing his letters to Avril as like dear Avril and then the, then they became dearest Avril and then in the spring it was my dearest Avril. And then by the summer it was Avril my only love. And he started writing these beautiful poetic letters, writing things like, why should the ocean stretch its vast expanse between us? That is the only thing that makes our courtship difficult. Let us, however, not rebel. Our destiny will work itself out. There is nothing that can su- successfully stop the mighty rushing flow of love. Can you imagine getting a letter like that? <laughs> Just like, all right. In another letter, he writes, remember that I am saving the kisses for you and more, that I know how to give them, hoping to hear from you soon and to see you soon. I remain the tenderest love, your dearest D. So after writing for months, David broached the subject of marriage in a letter. He waited on pens and needles for her response to arrive. And when it did, he wrote, with trembling fingers, I broke the seal and eagerly devoured its contents. But it wasn't, exactly the response he had hoped for. Oh, no. He wrote, yeah, he wrote, when I read that you have not made up your mind to accept my offer, I began to fear. But when I noticed the reason was that because you had faults, I can was considerably relieved because I know that we all have faults. And so as they they kept writing and Avril agreed to his proposal. And so David wrote a letter to her father who gave his blessing to set a wedding date just about a year after their first letter in August, at the end of August of 1914. And in a letter written in July, he admits that the process has been kind of crazy. And he says, my dearest, I must say that you are a brave girl and a girl after my own heart to make up your mind to take such a desperate chance as this, putting your faith, your trust in a man whose voice you have never heard, who has never had the chance to touch your hand, whose warm breath your cheek has never felt. Let us ask God to work it out in his best way, plan for a happiness, success, and future contentment. So the couple actually –
0: I've been watching a lot of 90 Day Fiance. Yeah. And it doesn't usually work out. So this
1: is some balls. This is some balls, right? So they actually – so they met for the first time in Portland, Jamaica, the day before their wedding. Wow. Yeah. And so their wedding was this elaborate affair, like – Friends and families had readied Avril's home for the celebration. Her mom had made her wedding dress and had made um, a dress shirt for David. They brought in all of these flowers to decorate the grounds. There was a pig roast and a three-tiered wedding cake. There were all these island delicacies just covered in these white on these white linen tables. And it was just a huge celebration, and the two. Who had fallen in love through their letters were nervous, but happy to finally be together. Wow. So they got married, they had the wedding, and then at 5 a.m. the morning after their ceremony, they boarded a ship for New York. And five days later, they arrived at their new apartment in Clinton Hill, Brooklyn. Together, David and Avril had six children. They lived through (gasps) war, depression, and the beginnings of the civil rights movement. And, you know, they they had this loving, boisterous home. They were very religious. They had all these kids and grandkids and aunts and uncles around. But, you know, they weren't without their faults. Like Judith, Judith's mother actually remembers being in the house with one of her siblings and hearing her parents, Avril and David, having an argument. She remembers... Avril throwing a glass cup on the floor and it's shattering. And David responded by saying, You're not the only one in this house who can break things. And then he threw a saucer. And then the two kids watched as their parents broke almost every piece of glassware in their house. And that then
0: sounds so cathartic.
1: Right? And then that they cooled down. Like that. Right? <laughs> I know. Couple should have a smash room, is all I'm saying. They shut up. I mean, it would be amazing. Every house but so should should have yeah, their so they smash room. They smashed everything. They went to separate sides of the house, cooled down, and came back, kissed, and together they cleaned up the mess. And they said that was kind of their relationship. I mean, they weren't, they were, it was full of love and heart. And there were emotions. but there were always children, relatives, food for everyone in the home. They called their brood of children and grandchildren the herd herd. Avril died in 1962 at the age of 66. And when she died, David was lost. He actually declared that he would never marry again because she was his only love. And although he had multiple romantic offers over the years, he was true to his word and he remained single for nine years until he died in the fall of 1971 at the age of 86.
0: Oh, I love that. My grandmother was like that too. My grandfather passed away and my mom – he was like in his 30s and my mom was 12 years old and my grandmother dated. She had a boyfriend for a long time, like mm-hmm. – like, 20 years almost but she was like i'll never remarry again because yeah because of her first husband
1: yeah, yeah. she was like he was my husband and probably because mm-hmm. he was her kid's father and yeah ma'am
0: yeah but i yeah i love that that's a great story and that is like it's amazing how people can fall in love over letters and then live long happy life together because like i said According to television reality, television, <laughs> it's usually a recipe for disaster.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, the so um, the granddaughter uh, Judith Lovell, wrote wrote a book about where she published the letters and Aww. got histories from like her aunts and uncles and her family and kind of filled it in and um, and she talks about how you know, there's something about these letters where you can really think about what you want to say and put thought and love into it that is so different from like the immediacy of all the communication we have now where you can tweet or message someone or text someone, you know, or call someone. And there's, it's a very different way to get to know someone is through letters, you know, because you're, so, you. I mean, you're actually, you're actually saying something in them. And that that is kind of how, their relationship formed. Like they knew each other before they even met. So anyway, they're really What's, they're they're beautiful. And I just think it's really kind of an amazing story that they have this like legacy of all of these kids and grandkids and that were they but they were the central figure.
0: Yeah. What's the name of the book?
1: It's called Papa's Letters.
0: Oh, I love that. Let's yeah. all check it out, Papa Check it letters. out. Awesome. I love it. Dude, should we get into something dumb and something I love? Yes. <laughs> let's do it. All right, let's do it. I guess I'll start out. I guess for something dumb, two things. I think I feel like I, I'm gonna keep peppering this in there every once in a while. Uh, but I do think it's dumb that the police officers that murdered Brianna Taylor have still not been arrested. Mhm I'll say I'm that. Yeah, gonna drill down. that. I'm just going to keep saying that. I'm going to keep saying that. But um also last week I talked about how hor- like I was at my wit's end with a horrible acid reflux that I've had for months now and that my yeah. I was losing my voice and everything. And this past week I just decided to take it into my own hands. I got off of Nexium which wasn't doing shit. Yeah. And it was just messing me up more. You know like right. uh, and so I got off of it and I just started I did a um a cleanse. Mm-hmm. So I'm still doing it. It's a ten day cleanse. It is of the intestinal kind. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm it up, what
1: I'm putting down. Um, I do get it. <laughs> and
0: I also I've started uh, taking just a shot of aloe juice after every meal and and taking digestive enzymes. And dude, like you could probably hear it in my voice. It's yeah. Totally helped. I've had no acid reflux all week long when it's something I've been battling for months. And my voice is back and I just feel so much better. And so that is something that I love. I love that I'm feeling better. But I also
1: – I'm so I, glad that you, that it's working for you. Yeah. Because I, I know so such a pain.
0: Good. Dude. I know. Fuck yeah, so, man. If you have acid reflux, I would consult a physician – Maybe give Dr. Dudefuck a call. But uh, <laughs> but I also uh, give that a try, I guess, because it, it really truly worked for me. So and I yeah. feel a lot better.
1: Yeah. Dude, I'm so I'm so happy because I that was such a pain in the ass.
0: Oh man, that was um, miserable.
1: So my something dumb is I you've probably read the story, Jen, and I, I it's a national story now, but in a county just like just north of us, their kids are back in school and there are all these pictures of like the crowded hallways in the high schools and yeah. the 15 year old girl, one of the 15 year old girls who posted a picture on Twitter and was just basically like, this doesn't feel safe, was suspended because she apparently broke the student code of conduct just for posting this picture that has now gone viral.
0: Wow. And
1: um and actually two students got suspended and she apparently she um was taking like in her class which I think is pretty badass she was like in my class 7 of 28 kids are wearing masks like whatever of 20. You know, She's like this is not safe. Wow. And the schools are threatening kids Who don't want to come, even though they have a virtual option, they say they can't do it because they didn't choose it from the beginning, even though school's only been in for like a week. And they say that the virtual option is full. So now they're saying like, even though kids are not feeling and families don't feel safe being there for obvious reasons, these crowded Mm -hmm. hallways and nobody wearing masks because they're not enforcing it, they're not allowing them to not come to school and they're suspending kids who don't show up. It's so, so it's crazy. just, it's so crazy. And I just, my, I'm just, my thoughts are with my thoughts. <laughs> um, I, anyway, I feel for any, I, for any parent and child who's like wrestling with decisions of making the decision between the safety of their child and their education and having to work and all of those things that are just like making it so impossible. But that just, that story just really fucking got me i was like my god can you make this any harder <laughs> for for no. kids i'm i'm hoping that everybody is able to make the safest choice for their family and for themselves and the thing that i love <laughs> is, it's gonna be real dumb i have a feeling the way you're laughing <laughs> no i can't i don't have anything
0: oh you don't have anything you love
1: i do t- why did i watch a tv it's been a show rough that week. i really
0: loved it's been a rough week, I guess.
1: I feel like, oh, I do have something I love. The thing that I love, which is not, is a new podcast, um, it's another 30 for 30 that just came out. It's all about um, USA Gymnastics and Bella Crowley and Marta Crowley. Anyway, it's really good. It re- It's in the vein of Guru where it's like a seven part. Oh. It's good. I definitely oh. recommend it. So I that's it the out. thing I love this week. Good. Good. Good, good, good. Okay, <laughs>
0: man, there we have it. Episode. There we have 200. it. We did it. We did um, it. Thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you guys are still enjoying the podcast. If you are, read and review. That's a fun thing to do. And if you're not, message us and let us know what we can do differently to make yeah. you love us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we just want your love. Come on. What can we do to buy your
1: love? You can join us on Patreon. Uh, we're doing fun stuff there. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Dumb Love Podcast. or you can email us at DumbLovePod at gmail.com.
0: Yeah. Get out there safely with a mask on, by hopefully by your own choice and not mm-hmm. by the force of your school district and <laughs> weird thing to say and do something dumb for love dum 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 dum